What is up, everybody? Happy New Year, and welcome back to On the Diamond and Into the Deep with Mahal. We're now on Apple. We're on Spotify. We're now on YouTube. We got the TikTok going. Let's do this. It's a new year. It's a new me. It's a new podcast. It's a new city. It's a new Mariners. It's a new Kraken. It's a new Huskies. Man, we rolling. Let's go. Happy 2024. And hopefully, we're going to have a happy October in 2024 and a happy summer in 2024 as Mariner fans. We got off to a quick start with Mariners rumors and Mariners news this year. Starting just about 12 hours in. If you didn't see already, at the Winter Classic at T-Mobile Park, in the owner's suite, John Stanton and the rest of the ownership group suite at the ballpark sat Canadian-born, Mariners' homegrown pitcher, James Paxton. If you don't remember him, he came out of the woodworks too late. James Paxton came up as a Mariner in 2013, had three wins that year, four starts through 24 innings that year. He left Seattle after the 2018 season. That season, he had two complete games. One shutout. He then went to the New York Yankees for two seasons. He then came back home, pitched an inning and a third, got injured, was out all of 2022, out a lot of 2023, and he came back in 2023 with the Boston Red Sox, and he pitched 96 innings on the dot, 96 innings, with a 4.50 ERA. He struck out 101 batters. He had an ERA plus of 101, and all of those stats were down after a very, very good start for Paxton, was then put on hold and a little bit hurt by what probably was injury-ridden the second half of his tenure of last season. And he ended up finishing the season on the disabled list, the injured list. But James Paxton is a good pitcher. He gets injured a lot. And this is an interesting interesting thought for Seattle and let me explain why so let's say you sign James Paxton you bring him back home and Paxton will cost you somewhere between 8 to 12 to 15 million dollars probably probably less than 15 but he'll probably get something around 10 million dollars with this market as this market is Ridiculous. We saw Lucas Giolito, who was 
just terrible last year, get nearly twenty million. He was terrible. Let me let me explain this. Lucas Giolito was bad last season. He had an ERA of almost five last season. He was eight and fifteen, and he got almost twenty million in this market. So James Paxton will probably get around ten million dollars. So let's say the Mariners sign him for ten million dollars on a one or two year deal. The idea, then, would probably be to trade one of your starters. Ideally, you'd be trading probably Brian Wu or Bryce Miller. And I'll get into later which one of those I would prefer. And I'm still debating as we go on recording. Because they are both very good with such high upside. But continue listening if you want to hear about which one I think is a better idea to trade. But if you sign Paxton for like $10 about that, then you go trade one of those dudes. With this market, right now, if you're trading one of those two dudes, you are expecting two good bats. Are they going to be elite bats by any means? No. But let's say you go up to the Tampa Bay Rays and you say, we want... Isaac Paredes and Randy Rosarena for Bryce Miller or Brian Wu. That is around, in my opinion at least, where their value sits. Now, that's different from what they'll necessarily get because the market will truly prove what their value would be. And they're only worth what a team is willing to pay for. But Based on what players are getting in the market right now, that's about where they're at. And that is why a James Paxton signing makes a lot of sense for this Mariners team. Again, around $10 million is what Paxton would cost per year. It'd probably be a one-year prove-it type of deal so that then he could go somewhere else and sign. I think an underrated part of an idea if you were to sign him would be hopefully you can get a half season out of him. Hopefully he can gut through a half season and then you can pair him and Robbie Ray, who I think we've all forgotten about at this point. Those two can pair together in a rotation when they're both going to need to be able to stay healthy in some way. They can pair together in some way, whether that's a six man whether that's one piggybacking off of the other, as in like a long man type of reliever situation. Let's say Robbie Ray gets back and Paxton's healthy. Robbie Ray pitches, let's say, two innings in his first start. You then have Paxton pitch four. That gets you to the sixth inning. You then have, say you have the lead, you go with one of your relievers, maybe it's Topa, then you go Brash Munoz to close it out. Right? And I think that would be the idea if you were to go sign him. That would be part of it. As well as the major, major part being you would be able to trade one of those starting pitchers so go get bats that are controllable and that are affordable. It is going to be hard to get what you would want for one of those trades. But when you think about the idea now 
of that being the main way you're going to be able to go get someone, it's probably your best route. There are a few other routes you could take. Obviously, you could trade prospects, which I'm not especially fond of because you need bats, obviously. And I think a lot of your prospects, especially your higher prospects, are bats. And I don't think you want to give away the ability to have those bats that could be young, controllable, and very talented. You probably want to keep those. So if you were to trade one of the pitchers, you'd be able to keep almost all of those and supplement your team enough this season to make you a competitor to give you a postseason spot because that is the expectation. The expectation of this team right now is you are in your window, you're competing for a postseason spot. You're not even competing for a postseason spot. You have a postseason spot. You're competing for the division and you're competing for the world freaking series that's the expectation and that has to be the expectation from the top down and i think if you go sign james paxton and trade one of those pitchers for a few bats that expectation gets a lot more clear because we need to see a vision from this team now the vision has not been clear but that's what we need we need a clear an obvious vision from Jerry, from the front office, from ownership, from the organization. You need a clear direction from the organization. And I think if you go do that, that gives you a clear and obvious direction. Now, between Bryce Miller and Brian Wu, it will be a, deba- a debate which one you would rather trade. And there are many reasons you would prefer one or the other. For instance, Bryce Miller, maybe you'd rather keep him because his fastball is ridiculous. And you can see this offseason, the work he's putting in on a splitter as well as his slider to pair alongside that fastball, which will make it all the more lethal. But on the flip side, maybe you look at Brian Wu and you say, well, he's got a good fastball already. He's got another, I believe he has a sinker. He also has a sinker in there that you also probably like. But then you look at all of Brian Wu's arsenal, and maybe you like that better. Maybe you like him longer term better than you like a Bryce Miller. With his repertoire of a fastball, sinker, cutter, slider, changeup. Is that what you prefer, or do you prefer the Brian or the Bryce Miller? Jeez, B and B, eh? The Bryce Miller. You prefer his fastball build off of the fastball route. Not saying that Wu doesn't build off of it, but Bryce Miller's fastball, according to many many metrics, is elite. It's elite but he doesn't have that super super strong pitch to pair with it and maybe that pitch is going to be that splitter that you see this offseason so from a pure baseball standpoint when i am looking at this and you can look at their baseball savant as well 
I think there's a lot of signs that may point to Brian Wu being the one you want to keep. Wu is also younger at the age of 23. Miller is 25. But does an injury concern and an innings limit probably this year with Wu concern you? Because if you were to trade one of those dudes, depth-wise, we're still not especially strong. And if you trade one of those dudes, your depth all the more diminishes. So this is the debate that's going on inside of the Mariners' front office between DePoto, Hollander, everyone in there. That's the debate that's ongoing. If you're going to trade one of these dudes, which one's it going to be? And part of it probably will depend on what other teams, which one of the which pitcher they view as a better fit and which pitcher they're willing to give up more for. Over the offseason, when I'm looking at Brian Wu and Bryce Miller, another thing I've noticed is when looking through social media, and obviously this isn't the biggest teller, but they're both involved heavily with their teammates, whether that's playing golf with them, whether that's just hanging out with them. But I think seeing Bryce Miller, his sort of social media presence, kind of, with the rest of his teammates, whether that's commenting on posts, talking about them, posting a goofy picture of them, or whatever else. That's something that makes me think, ooh, I like Bryce Miller. I want him to stay. But I could say the same thing about Brian Wu. He posts sim- su- similar stuff, where it's like he posted this video of Matt Brash yesterday taking a picture of Matt Brash's picture on the stadium. And Wu's savant page is a lot more red. And if you've listened to the podcast for a while now, you'll know I use Baseball Savant a lot. I love it. Being able to see the metrics on a very easy-to-read scale helps you visualize it. and It's very visually appealing. But Bryce Miller's fastball is legit. Again, it is legit. And also, the worry about Brian Wu's innings is also legit. So I don't know which one you prefer. It is a personal preference type of thing. And I think in the end, if they were to trade one of them, it will come down to what the other teams like. Which pitcher do they prefer? Brian Wu last year walked more dudes. His walk, or he, yeah, he walked more dudes and he also struck out more dudes. But that is because of his off-speed pitches. That's why he's going to walk more dudes because he's throwing more pitches outside the zone. But that's also why he's going to strike out more dudes because he gets more dudes to chase. Bryce Miller, on the other hand, he was 95th percentile in walk percentage in the entire league with a 4.8 walk percentage. Right? He doesn't put the runners on. And we know that how important that is to Jerry. We know how important that is to the organization. They want to control the zone. And Bryce Miller does provide that. So does Brian Wu. They're both above average or at least average in it. But I think if you're looking at Miller and you believe in that splitter, if you believe that is going to increase strikeouts while not significantly hurting his walk percentage, 
and also making it tougher for hitters to hit against him, I think he's the one you probably want to keep at this instant. But do you have more injury concern about the way he throws the ball? Having that little bit of a slingy type of motion that does cause a lot of injuries. I think in the end, I would prefer to trade probably Wu, but you might get more for Miller since he threw more innings and maybe could be considered more proven than Brian Wu was. But again, Wu is younger. I think it, it comes down to personal preference, what you prefer in a player. And either one of them is going to get you a haul. Going to get you a haul. But it depends on who's willing to get up, give up those hauls. Obviously, there have been rumors about the Rays. There were rumors about the Cardinals being in play last trade deadline. Rumors and thoughts around both the Orioles and the Reds. Nothing big in terms of those two, but I think all four of those teams, they match what you'd be looking for. Red Sox fans have been talking all about it, but who knows if there's really going to be a suitor that's willing to pay because it's going to be a hefty cost. And the Mariners will only trade them if they get that cost they want. And I don't know if anyone will do that. Let's look at the Orioles first. Potential trade targets from the Orioles could be someone like an Anthony Santander, switch-hitting outfielder. Only issue there, he has one year left of control. Another one could be an Austin Hayes outfielder. Both these players were outfielders. But Austin Hayes could be an outfield target. He's left-handed, though. And if you're searching for an outfielder, you probably want to go right-handed at this point because you have a lot, a lot of left-handed outfielders, and you probably want to go right-handed, someone that you could platoon potentially if you need to with a Canzone or a Marlowe, whoever. But obviously, ideally, you'd want someone that you could put stick in left or right field and you have Canzone be the other one, and then you've got whoever else on the bench. Or you could be looking for non, like, less longer-term major leaguers. Someone like some prospect-type players. Someone like a Heston Kierstad. Something like a Kobe Mayo. Something like a Jordan Westberg. Those are the type of ideas you could look at. I think ideally what you'd want is you could get something like a Heston Kierstad and a Kobe Mayo, a Heston Kierstad and a Jordan Westberg, a Heston Kierstad and an Austin Hayes, a Heston Kierstad and a Santander. You'd want a duo of any of those two players to be able to supply that because you want the longer term, but you also want that instant impact. And all those dudes will supply that. Because the Mariners, they need instant impact. They need impact now. All right? Looking at the Rays, there's been a lot of rumors around Randy or Rosarena. There have also been rumors around Isaac Paredes, Yandy Diaz. Also, rumors have been floated out about someone like a Brandon Lau, who I haven't talked about, but I like the idea of a Brandon Lau if you pair it with someone. He's on a little bit larger of a contract, though, so I don't know how that would match the Mariners necessarily. 
you could look at the Reds, right? And you think, well, can you go get Noel V. Marte? Can you go get Christian Encarnacion Strand? Can you go get Spencer Steer? But again, if you go get any one of those players, you're also probably, unless it's Marte, in my opinion at least, you probably also want to pair him with someone like, maybe you bring back Drake, Jake Fraley, stick him in your outfield. But again, that's a left-handed bat. You need right-handed bats in your outfield right now. So I don't know if the fit's necessarily there. I don't know if the fit is necessarily there anywhere. And I think that just shows how valuable these players are. Nobody's going to want to give up necessarily what it's going to take to get a Bryce Miller or Brian Wu. They are like the crown jewel of the American League, of the National League, of Major League Baseball right now. They are the crown jewel of trade targets. But it also means they're going to cost a plethora of players. It's going to cost a lot of talent, which as Mariners fans, that's exciting because that means you get impact. But as a fan of another team, that probably scares you. As they neither of them have even played a full year in the big leagues. But as a Mariner fan, I couldn't care less. If you get what I want, if you get two impact players, two impact bats, psh, go do it. Go do it right now. And that brings us along to what is next. What's the next move for this Mariners team? Is it a trade? Is it a signing? Who could it be? I think, obviously, recently we've seen James Paxton. I think that is a very reasonable next move, especially if you have a trade teed up with someone, if you're very close, if you feel confident about completing a trade with someone for Brian Brian Wu or a Bryce Miller. But I get the feeling their next move is going to be something smaller. I get the feeling it's going to be a small trade where they pick up someone that's going to be a depth piece. Maybe it's a depth right-handed outfielder that you can stick in there. That's not going to be a massive deal. But I think following that, that's when we get either big trade or a more important signing. I think Jerry DePoto's ready for a big 2024. And I think he wants to stay here, fight for his job. And I hope he stays. He's a great GM. Scott Service is a great manager. But we need to see more, more commitment from ownership, more commitment from the organization as a whole. But hopefully we get a 2024 full of joy, full of excitement as Mariners. Welcome to Seattle Sports Wraparound. Again, this is going to be a weekly segment. Happy New Year. Let's talk Kraken. Let's talk Seahawks. Let's talk National Championship. Let's start with the Kraken. Big win Monday. Big win, 3-0 over the Vegas Golden Knights. I said it last episode. You need a big win. You need to show Vegas that you can beat them. And Vegas looked hungover from the new year. They looked like they were asleep. And the Kraken came out with a heavy forecheck. They came out with early goals in each period to quiet Vegas, to shut down any sort of momentum they could gain. And to get the crowd riled up. I was there. It was exciting. 
What an event. What a special event. And what a special win to put the Kraken at a nine-game point streak. Great win. Nine-game point streak. Kraken are creeping up on the playoffs. And it's exciting again. It is exciting to be a Kraken fan. It is. Didn't think I was going to be able to say that again this season, but it's exciting. I'm having fun. It's fun to watch them play hockey again. They're up to 39 points now. They are tied with the Oilers on points. That said, the Oilers have three games in hand, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The Kraken are fighting. They want to win. And it's fun. It's fun to be a Kraken fan again. It's a lot of fun. I hope they can continue and they can fight and they can push and get that wild card. I hope they can. They're now only one point out. They're behind the Coyotes by one point. Coyotes have played 36 games. Kraken have played 38. Kraken are four points behind the Nashville Predators, and those two teams are even on games played. So it's it's exciting. We got to keep winning. We got Ottawa Senators tomorrow night. Today is Wednesday the 3rd. Tomorrow is Thursday the 4th. Hopefully we can get another win against Ottawa, extend that point streak to 10. And it's fun. Great event, Seattle. Great event, T-Mobile Park. Well done, Seattle fans. Go cracking. We're looking good again. All right, moving on to the Seahawks. Less positive note. Seahawks lost Sunday. They lost on New Year's Eve. They ruined everybody's New Year's Eve with a loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers. They could not figure out how to tackle. I think when you looked at that game, when you watched that game, they couldn't tackle Najee Harris. They couldn't tackle the running backs at all. I think when you look at it, you heard Pete Carroll say it this morning. There was about there were there was one play at least where they missed maybe five tackles. Carroll said that. I believe it was more than one. They had that happen a lot. Um, so figure out how to tackle, beat Arizona, hope for a Green Bay loss. I guess. Make the playoffs, lose first round probably, but yay, go Seahawks. Hopefully we get high draft pick. Yes, Huskies, more positive. Huskies, last night, nail-biter, defeated the Texas Longhorns in the Sugar Bowl. And they're going to go on to face the Michigan Wolverines in the national championship. Huskies won a college football playoff game, y'all. They are 13-0. Your Huskies are rolling. They are rolling, and it is fun to watch. Um, They did almost screw it up. Dylan Johnson got injured. They're 14-0, by the way. Sorry. But Dylan Johnson got injured on a third down play with 50 seconds left, and if he had not gotten injured, it would have ran the clock down to about 20, I believe, and by the time they punted and the Longhorns got the ball back, it would have been about 15 seconds to drive basically all the way down the field. But the Huskies won by six. And Michael Penix Jr. had a game. He saw the indoor moment that he had been waiting for. 
And man, did he take advantage. Going 29 for 38 for 430 yards and two touchdowns. Dylan Johnson had two touchdowns as well. Romo Dunze had another big game. Six receptions, 125 yards. Brady Gross kicking field goals, doing what he needed to do. He had a 40-yarder, a 27-yarder, a 26-yarder in the game and a few extra points. And the Huskies, they won. They're in the national championship next Monday. So let's go beat Michigan. Let's win the Natty. Dubs up. Go. Thank y'all for listening. Happy New Year. Happy 2024. Hopefully it's a big year for Seattle sports. Hopefully it's a big year for the podcast. I can't wait for every episode this year. We're going to try and do it weekly, every week. There'll obviously be a few weeks here and there where I can't due to road trips or whatever. But go Mariners, go Kraken, go Huskies, go Seahawks, go Sounders. This is going to be a big year. Let's go win every championship we can. Peace, y'all.